morning, Mendocino County and beyond. You are listening to Wild Oak Living. This is Johanna Wild Oak. I bring you this program every other Thursday from 9 until 10 a.m. It alternates with the Renewable Energy Hour. It's all about sustainable living and building community in Mendocino County and beyond. And today we are going to be talking about a really important topic for our community and a really wonderful topic too, um, as you will find out. We're going to be talking about Hospice of Ukiah, which is a community-supported hospice and palliative care um, offering to our community. And um, and there's, there's much uh, information to share about that, about hospice care, about palliative care, about grief support. We're going to be talking about all of these things with uh, Megan Parker and Kay Lieberknecht, who are, uh, Megan um, is, uh, um, you, you can talk to us, Megan, about, about your role there. And, and Kay is the, the uh, chaplain for the Hospice of Ukiah. And I'd like to welcome you both to Wild Duck Living. Megan and Kay. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Hi, and I'm really happy you can be here. And I'm really happy that that we have um, Zoom to actually see each other while we talk. This is, um, I've been doing this radio program for almost 20 years. And for the first 18 years or so, I did most of my interviews by telephone. And it, and, and it was okay. You know, you still have the voice connection. But now with Zoom, we can see our guests. And it just makes such a huge difference. At least it, it does to me. It's almost like being in the same studio together. Yeah. Thank you, Eddie, this morning for engineering. I really appreciate your doing that. So we want to talk about hospice of Ukiah um, and hospice care and palliative care. And then we want to talk about grief and spirit, spiritual support. Um, so we're going to start out talking about what is hospice of Ukiah and what is hospice of Ukiah not? Because I think there's there's also a story to tell about what differentiates your organization from other hospice care. So let's, let's start out a little bit about uh, what you are and what you do and a little bit about the history and, and Megan Parker, if you could also talk about what your role there is. Okay, thanks. So I'm Megan, I'm the social worker here at Hospice of Ukiah. All hospice agencies and, and palliative care agencies work with an interdisciplinary team. Sometimes they're called a transdisciplinary team. So we have nurses, uh, nurses aides, the social worker and the chaplain. So we're trying to meet meet the patient's needs and the patient support system's needs in multiple ways by having an interdisciplinary team. So I'm the social worker. Um, hospice started, Hospice of Ukiah started with the hospice movement a, a little over 40 years ago. There was an awareness of a need to help people spend their last days or weeks at home rather than in an institutional setting like a hospital. And, and there's an awareness that that needed some support from nurses and perhaps doctors or chaplains. Um, Dr. Weira and others in our community here in Ukiah started Hospice of Ukiah. All hospice agencies at that time were started as volunteer agencies. There, there was no billing to insurance, no money changing hands, just a real offering. I love that word that you used, an offering to our community. Um, in the 80s, 
Medicare started realizing that this was a really good thing. And not only that, it, it ended up saving them some money because people were not in the hospital accruing um, char hospital charges. They were at home. And so Medicare decided to start funding hospice services. At that time, Hospice of Ukiah thought long and hard and said, no, thank you. We are going to stay community supported. Um, and since then, we have continued to be totally community supported. We don't bill to insurance at all. Anyone can access our services regardless of financial status or insurance status. We, we are a professional team. <laughs> we, we're not volunteers, um, but we do have volunteer respite providers and we do have volunteers at our thrift store. So financially, we are supported by donations and our thrift store sales. Yeah, that's that's such such a, a a brief sentence for you to say, but it is actually an amazing concept um, because you know I'm 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 sure that there's substantial costs involved with 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 uh, you're offering palliative care and 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 hospice care and grief support, and and you raise all of this money through donations grants. T talk a bit more about that. That is such an amazing concept. It is amazing, and it, it it's uh, it's still kind of magical and mysterious to me, but also <laughs> just wonderful. Um, we have our thrift store on State Street in Ukiah, and we are so grateful for the donations that we receive there because all of those sales go towards our operating budget. And then people who are just so generous to donate to, directly to Hospice of Ukiah, um, whatever they can afford. And it, it's really through those gifts, through the gift, the donations to the thrift store and the financial donations directly to Hospice of Ukiah that we're able to operate without being involved in the insurance industry. There's, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, and I think there's also the possibility uh, of donating through the Community Foundation of Mendocino County, I read on your website, right? Yes. And I got to share a fun thing. Mm -hmm. um, many, many years ago, like 30 years ago or more, I, for the only time in my life, accidentally didn't stop at a crosswalk to let somebody by. <laughs> Probably the only time, right? Anyway, I got a ticket. There was a sting operation that they were trying to establish a little more safety for pedestrians. And I got, I got stopped. Well, I didn't want to pay the fine totally you know so i went and i talked to the judge or whatever i can't remember that part and they said i had to do community service and i said well who do you do community service for and they included hospice of ukiah and so my community service was to write a grant application for uh, services for young people who were in grief and that's how our program for um, being able to serve, you know, kids started. That was the best ticket I ever got. <laughs> the only one. <laughs> That's a wonderful story, Kay. Um, this you mentioned you mentioned kids and 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 this uh, actually uh, maybe I'm jumping around a bit, but um, I want to talk a bit about hospice care and palliative care and how. Uh, 
you know how it, how it's it's i mean we we generally uh, associate hospice and palliative care with uh, with end of life care but it isn't necessarily that and it isn't necessarily just for us older folks right mm-hmm. so maybe you 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 both can talk a bit about that so the the way that i think makes the most sense to me at least is that hospice care is a subset of palliative care Palliative Mm -hmm. care is for anyone that's living with chronic or serious illness uh, that impacts their life. And then hospice care within that umbrella is specifically targeted towards people who are coming to the end of their life. And if you have palliative care in Hospice of Ukiah, you can still seek treatment for your chronic, um, you know, life-threatening illnesses. Um, whereas if you go to a hospice in, um, you know, the for-profit hospices, they can't accept somebody to their services who is still trying to beat their disease. And even even nonprofit hospices that bill to insurance like Medicare, um, you have to cease all life. They call it life-sustaining treatment. So you can no longer be receiving dialysis or chemotherapy or anything of that sort. But yeah. with our with our agency, there there are no rules. <laughs> there are rules but no rules like that we really want patient-centered care and so we lead with asking patients what what they want for themselves and and that's how we start our our relationship with each patient so uh, i'd like to explore that a bit more because you know i i think um um it, it's it's wonderful that you support it by the community, and it's wonderful that that gives you the freedom to provide care in a way that you would not be able to to provide it if you were a medic Medicare affiliated or if you were a uh, a licensed um, hospice provider. Um, so talk a bit more about that. What what are you able to do that you wouldn't be able to do if you weren't a if you weren't a community funded organization? Well, some of the clients that we've had have lasted for like a decade under our services. And, you know, we may not have been visiting super often, but we stay in touch and provide services as needed. And so it's, we have quite a relationship developed between say the nurses or nurses aid, you know, during that time. Um, Also, you were asking about kids. Um, We have, you know, heart wrenching, times that we serve children. Um, and those have not been in the palliative care uh, level for long, usually. I mean, people don't think of of getting palliative care for little kids, I think, still. It's not a not a thing that has happened to uh, for us or them yet here. But um, it's really amazing to be working with the children and their parents. And then there are the children of the parents who are, you know, the the young children are served when their parents are the ones that are in the dying path. And uh, it's really, it's quite rewarding and sad work, you know, but there's always hope because people can make good out of just about anything. 
And and because you are a community supported organization, my understanding is that that uh, I think you mentioned some of it before, Megan. That enables you to treat uh, to to include people in your care who, um, who who who, or let's put it the other way around. If you were in a Medicare facility or if you were a medical Medicare hospice care, you would have to choose to end treatment, right? And you would ha- your doctor would have to say you're within six months of of the end of your life right and and i don't want to speak too much for a medicare agency because i don't work for one but in general there are a lot there are more rules like they really don't want you to go to the hospital for any reason um and and one of the things that our agency you're able to do is that you're able to keep your doctor we work with your established doctor and for some people that isn't an issue, but for a lot of people that is something that they really appreciate that they've, through the course of their illness, however long they've lived with it, they've established a relationship with their doctor or doctors, and they've established, and they've figured out symptom management with certain medications. And so we don't we have med- two doctors who are medical advisors, but we don't have a doctor who takes over the patient's care. We work with the established doctor. Um, when someone goes on, hospice care through a Medicare funded hospice, you have to use the hospice doctor and the hospice doctor comes in and often um, will change up the medications and things like that. And so we have heard from patients that being able to stay with their doctor has been a real benefit to them. That makes total sense to me because it's a long process to figure out what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And it's bad enough when your primary care doctor changes every couple of years, but you know, it's, but if you have to then suddenly be confronted with, with, with a doctor who knows nothing about your history and you have to do everything all over again, and you're already suffering, that sounds, that seems like a, a really hard step to take. That's right. And then just in general, kind of along those same lines, we re- I, I mentioned it in passing earlier, but we really do center the patient's voice and the patient's support system. And so I'm the social worker on the team, but if you don't want to see me, you don't have to see me, <laughs> you know, and if you just want to, unless you're getting close to the end, if you just want to see your nurse once a month, you just can see your nurse once a month. If you want to see your nurse once a week, then we'll make that happen. It's really how can we best support you and in what way, rather than coming in saying, well, we have to visit this often and we have to do this and we have to do that. Um, We really are trying to listen and put so much about living with illness is makes someone feel disempowered and, and kind of out of control. And in our own way, we're trying to put the control back in your hands as best as we can. Yeah. Um, so so you talked about this supportive care team. Can you talk a bit more about that? What does that involve? Who's who's involved? And, you know, mm-hmm. I, mean, I know you just said that it looks different for every person, but, you know, sort of typically what, what would it would involve? You know, how, how do people come to you? And then how do you decide what kind of care they need? And then what does that look like? So generally, we get referrals either when someone is being discharged from the hospital, the hospital will make a referral to us, or from the patient's primary care provider or an on- or our local oncologist, if um, the onco- oncologist is involved. 
um, when, when the referral comes in, one of our nurses goes out and meets the patient and their support system and starts the intake process. And then, so our team, we have three amazing nurses who are awesome. We call them care coordinators. They're really the case managers for each case. And then we have nurses assistants who help with bathing and personal care. And then we have Kay, the chaplain, and me, the social worker. And during that intake process, the nurse talks with the patient and their support system about what, what they would like their support to look like. Some people don't really want to have help with bathing or any of that sort, at least not yet. Some people feel like their spiritual needs are met through their own relationships with a priest or, or some such. And so they're not um, wanting to meet with Kay. Some people are well-resourced and they don't need a social worker. <laughs> so um, it, it's really about making sure that we, we are able to address multiple needs, but, it, but aligning which, which team member um I'm losing my train of thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, uh, Very uh, common these days, Megan. Yes. <laughs> Aligning the right team makeup for the right for each patient. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for your patience. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I was looking for a, a good time. To, I wanted to share because you talked about, you know, what kind of uh, care is provided to, to the patients. Um, Armand Brint um, wrote this beautiful poem that's on your website, and I, I wanted to share this poem because it describes so well um, what you know how 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 you care for people. And here's this poem, and I'm probably, probably going to cry. Um, Give thanks to the ones who come to our homes to wash bodies, open windows, fill plastic water bottles. Gratitude to the ones who speak the Esperanto of the heart, though English may be a second language. They're called home health aides and personal assistants. We should praise them in all their euphemisms. They help us to the bathroom and rub our feet. They chat us up as if we were at a cocktail party for the bedridden. They put our minds at ease. These helpers become our intimates at the speed of light. Sickness parts the curtain and they walk in with a cup of warm broth. We have known them all our lives because illness shrinks time down to a single moment of tangled sheets. These caregivers renew our unloved kitchens and fill the house with the bird song of activity. They come alone and unencumbered and when they leave, a trace of kindness lingers in the hallways. These are the people who have witnessed misery without borders, yet they speak the lullaby of their own language until we fall asleep. That was written by Armand Brint, um, a poet in Ukiah in September 19, 2019. Okay. Thank you, Armand, for that beautiful poem. Yes, yeah, thank you. And that is, I think, a really good description of what it's like to be to care for and to be cared for um, in in a situation where you're either chronically ill or you're nearing the end of your life 
Um, Kay, I want to talk to you. Kay Lieberknecht, who you are the chaplain at, at um, and, and I'm just going to take a moment here to let you know that you're listening to Wild Oak Living. This is Johanna Wild Oak. I bring you this program every other Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. And today my guests are Megan Parker, who is the social worker with Hospice of Ukiah, and Kay Lieberknecht, who is the chaplain with Hospice of Ukiah. Um, I, I want to talk to... I want to talk to you about grief, but I think one thing that's really important to mention because it's it's it may be obvious, but I don't know if we've specifically said, but your services are offered to the community for free, right? This yeah. is what blows me away. <laughs> yes, and and there's there's no there's no as as I understand it, there's no qualification process, right? You don't have to no. anyone like or a financial qualification process or something right. like. You don't have to to make an application in for grief services. You don't have to be otherwise a part of hospice of Ukiah. You don't have to be the family member that you know is left after somebody died or whatever. It's open to the community, and we have kind of a wonderful broad base of uh, connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, Talk, and, talk a bit about about your the, the grief services uh, that you offer. I know there are grief workshops, but you also do individual connections with people. Talk a bit about what what you do and what that work is like. Okay, did you have something you wanted to say? Oh, I, I feel like I'm going to derail us for a quick second, but just wanted to also mention that we do serve Willits, Potter Valley, Redwood Valley, Hopland, Ukiah, and Boonville, um, and those kind of, and Talmadge. Those, so that's that's our area of service that we're able to provide. Um, just while we were talking about about our services. Yes, yeah. good. Yeah, and, and also one thing I I didn't mention, and by the way, uh, you can find all of this information that we've been talking about so far on the website hospiceofukiah.com hospiceofukiah.com all one word, and there's also a page there, a donations page that talks about the various uh, ways in which you can support Hospice of Ukiah. They have a donate button there. This is a good time of the year to think about uh, making a donation to to your favorite uh, local local organizations. Um, and also there are, um, um, you can do bequests and also make in-kind donations to the store, to the thrift store. I think that's something we haven't mentioned. Um, and also it says here on the website that you take donations of durable and functional medical equipment, wheelchairs, walkers, scooters, commodes, shower chair, benches, there's a there's a long list of things that that you take donations from as long as they're as long as they're not uh, uh, as long as they're um, useful and 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 not opened right yeah well, they they're already opened usually because the people <laughs> have already sat in them or whatever oh okay no I mean I mean things like like that come in packages oh, yeah oh, okay sure. yeah yeah all right yeah <laughs> that's good. Um, and, and, it, and and just because not everybody stays with us for the whole hour, I wanted to also make sure that people uh, know your phone number uh, so that people can get reach out to you if, if you want to make donations or if you want to uh, uh, support a Hospice of Ukiah in, in some way. Yes, yeah, so our phone number is 707-462-4038. And since I have connection with people in the community through hospice without them having to 
you know, be involved with the office. I my phone number for hospice is um, separate. It's 707-391-1817. 391-1817. And that's to reach Kaylee Bricknick, who is the uh, chaplain with the hospice yeah. of Utah. And uh, I just want to also mention chaplain doesn't necessarily mean that that there's a religious affiliation right it simply describes right. your, your role and, and and talk a bit about that and and then okay. and then we'll, we'll return to the to the kind of grief counseling services that you offer yes i um i as chaplain it's best if you're not stuck on one religious approach um in fact, a person could be chaplain probably if they were atheist in that as long as they support others in whatever spiritual path those people want to be on or find themselves on. Um, so that's, it's really exciting to um, be using my personal spiritual um, experience because, you know, I'm just Miss Doubter from way back and, you know, <laughs> and very... Um, whatever comes by sounds just fine um as long as it's about love so um i really love feeling out where somebody's coming from on their meaning in life and you know where they are in the love path and um helping them along that path and that's the positive aspect of grief work is really helping people find the meaning of their life being grounded in love for themselves and for the world and for their beings around them. Um, anyway, all that's very highfalutin and um, I really, think it's lovely. <laughs> I just really love this work and have been, been involved with hospice in various aspects um, for about, I'd say, 40-some um, years. Well, probably about 45 years, but, um, and I was already involved in it before my own daughter died in a car crash when she was 16, which has been a number of years ago. You can't see how terribly old I am, but um, <laughs> it's, it's been a long time, 30 33 years, I think it's been. Um, anyway, and so actually my training in hospice, it didn't feel at the time like it was helping me with getting through the experience of such a loss, but it did help um, to, and, you know, it helped to get through it because I knew that, that um, people can make it through this. And so I feel like part of my job is, is, um, the education that, you know, grieving is something that all of us do probably from early in our lives, we grieve over losses and, you know, a loss of, of your pet polywog might be pretty hard and it'll give you a good practice for dealing with a harder loss later on. Um, it's pretty amazing. So, my work comes from um, referrals by the nurses when they do the intakes, you know, of new clients so that I go in sometimes before anybody has completed the dying process and help out 
for the client and for their their loved ones and caregivers um, with them adjusting to the changes. You know, we have losses of our loved ones long before they die. They change. Their needs change. Their roles change. Your role changes if you're the caregiver. Um, There's huge losses to deal with as you go through life. And... um, so I get many referrals that way, and um, sometimes the family is is only needing the chaplain type of support after the clients died. So I never meet the client, perhaps, but they become my client. Also, people refer each other to to our services. Um, like sometimes people are not, you know, people may have um, a need for hospice services for a client in the family, they'll call directly without having a medical provider. And I can respond to those those um, individuals um, sort of legitimately within the scope of, of our services. And that feels so good because it's pretty hard when you're trying to round up services for yourself and you got to wait till your doctor responds and then till the doctor finishes making the referral and then the nurse can come out. That's hard. So I love it that I can go in a little earlier sometimes. And um, yes, I see people in person, um, individually at their home. Sometimes we meet somewhere else and walk together. Um, sometimes we we um, um, don't even have to get together. We talk on the phone. COVID made that very well practiced. Um, and then I also provide groups. There's, um, I try to provide three eight-week series of loss support groups um, a year. And the next one will be at the end of January or beginning of February. We'll start an eight-week series where we meet for like an hour and a half weekly. Um, and we try to get the same people to come every time. Um because it really is great to make those bonds and, and develop a resource that when the group's over, you still got each other. It's really a good thing. Um, then I do groups as needed um, through the year. Um, and just to be specific, you know, our local homeless shelter was just suffering from people that were clients there, guests they call them, um, dying for various reasons in short, like let's have one a week for four weeks, you know, it was terrible. And the staff was just reeling because the staff there, it brings tears to my eyes, they really, really love their, their guests. They, you know, they totally accept their people and take them into their family feeling. And then when they die, they, they, you know, they have a lot of, of guests that they're losing through death. And it was just really hard. So I got to go in and because night shift people needed to be involved, I got to go in at like nine o'clock at night. You know, usually I'll be on my second or third hour of sleep by then. (laughs) And, you know, it was really wonderful to do some grief support for the staff there. And um, 
Other times I've had a family that has a real traumatic death, um, and I'll have the whole family come up to my ranch where we'll use the horses to make it easier for both kids and adults to um, be able to kind of notice how the horses reflect their own feelings um, and talk about their feelings that way. Sounds wonderful. And then we have one more thing is that, well, we have, let me mention another special group that we have coming up, and that is the Love and Loss During the Holidays. We have that um, coming up on Saturday, the 17th of December. It's at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It'll be about a two-hour time. And um, we'll just help each other with planning how to finish out the holiday season, you know, with with kind of cradling our grief through the time. And it's at the, um, we have really nice association with the Ukiah United Methodist Church um, because they have a big room, 106 is where we meet um, at uh, the church on, it's on Pine Street between Stanley and Smith. So people can call me at 391-1817 to make it to that session. And hopefully we'll have some more flyers up. <laughs> and um, Can you repeat that phone number and the date and time, please, again? Okay, it's um, December 17th at 1 p.m. And it's uh, my phone number is 391-1817. And then I wanted to say about one more group we have. Yes, please. Okay. On the first, third, and fifth Wednesdays of every month, we have a suicide loss support group for those who have lost loved ones to suicide. And um, this also is at that Methodist church. And um, it's really been a vital service for the last several years. My first, I've only been here for about, four years maybe working again i did work in the past here but um the very first loss support group that i facilitated like three out of the six or eight people that were there had suicide loss and they asked could we please have a special opportunity to share where you know because that that sort of difficult, difficult loss really warrants um, more opportunity to share about it. And so we started then, and it's really been quite a rewarding time. Wonderful. Dear listeners, you are listening to Wild Oak Living here on KZYXNZ. This is Johanna Wild Oak. This program comes to you every other Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. My guest today, I am honored to share this uh, Zoom call interview with, is uh, Megan Parker and Kay Lieberknecht from Hospice of Ukiah. Megan is the social worker and Kay is the chaplain there. And we're talking about hospice care, palliative care, 
um, grief and grief support. Um, I'm going to open the phone calls in about two or three minutes, but first I want to talk about something we haven't really covered yet, and that's volunteers. How can people how can people support you? Um, what kind of volunteer opportunities do you have? We've talked about donations, but I think there's also a way for people to help you as volunteers, right? Can you want to talk a bit about that? Sure. So we have two main ways to volunteer. One is in our thrift store. We always need help in our thrift store. We're so lucky to have an abundance of donations, but with that abundance comes uh, some labor in terms of sorting through and cleaning and putting them on shelves. Um, and so the anyone who would like to volunteer at the thrift store can go to the thrift store and, and ask about volunteering. We have a great manager, Marlena. She is just running the thrift store so beautifully and a great crew there. Um, and then we have a respite volunteer program for people who are interested in doing respite work. Respite just involves coming and meeting and sitting with someone who is living with a chronic or terminal illness. And, and the respite word is just to indicate that oftentimes it's giving the caregiver a break. Um, and so the respite volunteer comes in for an hour, often about once a week, and sits with the client, the patient. And it's real heartfelt work, soulful work. And speaking to the respite volunteers that we have who have volunteered in this way for a while, they say it's mutually beneficial. They receive just as much as they give. And our nurse, Diane, is in charge of the uh, the respite volunteer program. And I'm reaching into my pocket to find my phone number, her phone number. Um, you, you can call the office if you'd like to be a respite, respite volunteer. Or Diane's number is, here we are, 489-0554. Can you repeat that, please? Four eight nine zero five five four, and she does a beautiful job matching volunteers with patients. It's it's sort of like chemistry or dating, you know, making sure that's a really a really good match. And she's wonderful at it. And I saw that also on your website, hospiceofukiah.com, you have a page uh, called volunteer, and you can input your inf contact information there as well. <laughs> you know more than I do. People <laughs> can get in touch. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> I tried to do a little bit of research before the program <laughs> so that I'm informed. Well, um, we would like to invite our listeners to join us in this conversation. If you have uh, a question for our guests about grief, about hospice care, palliative care, or if you have a story to share, um, about, uh, you know, about how you or a loved one received care. Those are all welcome. If you would like to join us in this conversation, you can call us at 707-895-2448. That's 707-895-2448. I know we had a call earlier, and I would love to invite the caller to call back um, to to take your call at, at this point, 707-895-2448. Okay, let's go ahead. Hello, caller. You're live on Wild Egg Living. Hello. Thank you for this program. <clears throat> I, um, my wife uh, was on hospice a number of years ago and um, out at Fort Bragg. 
and the, the hospice worker, uh, our, the supervisor, Arlene Case, was wonderful. And um, I got all the um, uh, expert information that I needed, and it all went very, very well. Um, I, and a very important point is that when a person is on hospice um, and you stay in touch with the hospice person and um, then when, when the person dies, it's, quote, an expected death and the law enforcement, no authorities are involved or anything. You just call the... Um, uh, the funeral home. They they came out. They they got um, the the body and took it in, and it was uh, it was very uh, very easy. Uh, <clears throat> on the other hand, I have a friend who um, was taking care of her husband, and with one thing and another, didn't quite get him on hospice. Therefore. The sheriff came out, and it was not a pleasant situation because he was expecting foul play and um, or something like that. And uh, fortunately, she had uh, some friends there, and they worked through it. But um, the, they had to have the coroner out and all, all of that. And so I think that's an important point that uh, should, should definitely be mentioned in this, uh, uh, in this, uh, on your program. And, um, the, uh, but once again, uh, hospice, uh, was just invaluable and they were just wonderful. So thank you thank for you. your for important program. Thank you so much for sharing this information. So, Megan, did I, did I understand this correctly? By by virtue of signing, a per, of 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 being part of hospice uh, care, it becomes an expected death, and it avoids all the the law enforcement involvement at the end of life. Can Correct. You? Yes, and I I am grateful to the caller for bringing that up. It sometimes we're so closely involved in hospice care that we forget these details that are quite important and and here the caller spoke so well to what can happen when somebody is not on hospice care and how upsetting that can be in an already very upsetting situation and so when someone who is on our services or any hospice services passes the nurse will the nurse on duty will come out and pronounce the person and the family can stay with the body as long as they'd like to and then the funeral home will come out it is tends to be quite as easy as possible, given that it's a difficult situation. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really grateful to the caller for calling that in as well, because I was, I was not aware of that, of that aspect of end of life care. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we are taking phone calls. If you'd like to join us in this conversation, uh, 895-2448, 707-895-2448. If you have a question or a hospice uh, story to share. Um, let's see, we talked about volunteering, we talked about donations, um, a bit more about the thrift store while we wait for other calls. So what can people find in the thrift store? How can people support the thrift store? 
<laughs> they can find everything in the <laughs> like kitchenwares, clothes, shoes. We have a volunteer who takes really loving care of our book section, furniture, um, unique thrift store items. You know, those finds that uh, are just so unique that you can only really find at a thrift store. I think tools even too. I think so. Yeah. It's just amazing. Um, and, and so I, I think this happened last time we talked, Johanna, but I don't quite remember the hours of our donation bay. Um, but we, there are hours because we do need somebody to be manning that donation bay um, to receive the donations. But if you, if you have donations, we appreciate them very much. Um, we do, we're so grateful for all donations and we do just very gently ask people to be mindful of what they are donating. Um, it, it's not, it's not a situation where, um, you're just cleaning out your attic and you just want to bring it all to hospice. <laughs> if you could just sort through what you have found in your attic or wherever um, and make sure that what you are bringing to us is sellable. Um, we, we appreciate that quite much because we do actually have to pay to have unusable donations taken to the trash. Um, that, that's an expense that we incur just because not all donations that we receive, and we receive them with much gratitude, but not all donations we receive are are able to be sold. And there is there is donation information for the thrift store also on your website, hospiceofukiah.com, and you click on, on thrift and gift, and that will give you all that information. And I think the donation bay hours are actually on here. It says Tuesday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Those are the donation hours. And the store hours, I don't know if this is uh, uh, current, but it says Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And it is located on 401 South State Street. And I just remembered, I apologize for um, interrupting, but Dr. Vera would be would be upset. Our our the founder of Hospice of Ukiah and one of our medical advisors. But this time of year, we actually in the banks around Ukiah have um, memory trees, remembrance trees, where you can go and write the name of a loved one or maybe a little note about them and hang them from the tree, um, just as a, another way to help cope with loss feelings of loss during the holiday season so if you would like to do that i think they're set up in all the banks in ukiah i'm really glad you mentioned that and and also Kay, you spoke before about this special um, um grief uh, support session that you have coming up on december 17th about how to get through the holidays because you know, you could you could you could be okay on a day to day basis, and then a special holiday that was come a holiday comes along, and it was always something special that you did with that with that person, and all of a sudden you feel this big hole, right? Yeah, yeah, it can be a real empty spot. Some people actually fill the empty spot by setting a place at the table for their loved one that's died, and they put pictures or flowers or whatever on that plate. But um, I think it's really, it's really true that it's an empty feeling or, you know, there are so many different ways of, of um, feeling about it. Some people have always had a hard time with holidays and then 
it's even worse now, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's a great thing to have a bit of extra support. You know, and there is no, um, there's no, you know, expiration date on your grieving process. Um, especially with a kid, they, they grieve more healthily in a way than adults do, where they take breaks from their play to grieve rather than grieving all the time and trying to once in a while take a break to feel like a normal human. It, it is so much healthier to still have a life focus, but then you, you have to take breaks for, for play, for grieving anyway. And then two, maybe, you know, if they were 10 years old when they suffered a, a loved one dying, they, they go through a certain amount of grief then, and then on the anniversaries of various things, you know, they'll go through more grieving. But like children, we also have, everybody has sort of milestones in their lives where, oh, the first time you, you know, did a piano recital, or maybe it's when you graduated from a grade or high school. Maybe it's when you, um, shoot, had your first kiss or whatever. At those times, the grief will come up again because whoever you lost isn't part of your life now when you're changed. And uh, so there's no expiration date on the grieving process, you know? And there's there's a misperception, particularly in our culture, that, you know, you even see it with in company policies with bereavement leave uh-huh. or something like that, that you should be over it by a certain time and and if you're not over it by that time then you're not grieving correctly or you're not strong enough or this or that um there's a there's an awful aspect of grief where there's a lot of self-doubt involved where you think oh it's it's this hard because i'm doing it wrong or it's lasting this long because i'm doing it wrong and and grief is just hard it's just hard no matter what and it's not because you're grieving wrong or you're not strong enough or whatever um one of the ways I like to think of it is that you you don't move on from grief, you just move forward with grief. Mm-hmm. And my my late husband passed uh, over 11 years ago, and my older kid said a few years ago, I like the way the way that she said it. She said, "Well, you just get more practiced at it. You don't you don't get over it. You just get more practiced at living with it." And mm-hmm. and so I think that's a, a better conception um around around living with loss what a wise insight mm-hmm. have a wise daughter <laughs> there, there's a there's a couple of brochures on your website that are really interesting that people can can download to get there's one about bereavement and there's one about that explains what palliative care is. And I just want to point that out to people, hospiceofukiah.com and then click on those buttons. And there's a list of um, of suggestions in one of the brochures that that uh, I wanted to share. What can you what can I do to cope uh, with grief? And and I just want it, to it's a short list and I'm just going to go through it. Uh, uh, and if you if you want to join our conversation, please give us a call. I think we might have time for maybe one more call um but it's already 9:53 so we don't have that much more time express your feelings pamper yourself with massage a spa visit or a special gift get a physical checkup talk to friends your minister or a spiritual guide join a grief support group 
take up a hobby or volunteer, gentle exercise, walk, ride a bike, yoga, have a good cry whenever you want. I think that's really important. (laughs) Remember the good times, also important. Celebrate special times with family and friend. I think that's a lovely list of ideas that can all help us um, get over grief. Actually, it's already 9.54, and I want to give each of you a chance to um, share with us uh, anything that we haven't covered yet or reiterate any contact information or anything else, and I want to give both of you a chance to do that. So let's do that now. Megan, um, and and uh, just to let you know, my guests are Megan Parker and Kaylee Burknick from Hospice of Ukiah. Go ahead. I, what I'll add is just that along these same lines of that beautiful list that you just read that in general when we talk about grief and and ideas for what can support you while you're grieving uh, we're looking for descriptive not prescriptive there isn't one way that works for for everyone and so what what i like to sometimes say to people is that that's the time when you really tune into that inner inner compass of sorts of you know what's working and what's helping and you know what's not and sometimes that changes from minute to minute but just really tuning into that sense of this is what i need right now this is helping me right now and and some a lot of people when you're grieving will try to tell you what you need to do or what you should do but listen listen to yourself about what you need and what's helping you Thank you, Megan. Okay. And I'd like to um, add a little bodily sort of wisdom that I've learned. You know, if you hang on to something with your fists, you know, there's very little that'll fit inside your fists. You you kind of have a little squoze thing. Maybe it'll squish out the edges of your hands, you know. But if you hold something cradled lightly, you can hold a lot of it because, you know, it, it can spread over the edges of your hand without falling off. And it's that way about what you love and about your own self-love. Don't have a tight grip on yourself or on those you love, but rather cradle yourself and hold yourself lightly with uh, allowing for what really is. And know that you can make it. I loved also, Kay, what you said earlier about how a bereavement and and grief uh, is is a process that that starts before a loved one leaves us, right? Because yes. of how your roles change and how your interactions change, and how it's 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 more of an evolving thing rather than a sudden yeah. event, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, there are, you know, of course, sudden deaths, too. Yeah, true. uh, But even then, even then, you've already grieved the loss of who you had when they were, you know, years back. Everybody changes. We do have our griefs that we deal with as we go, you know. So nobody is without practice in grieving. Yeah. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I want to make sure that we offer all the 
in contact information again. Uh, so the, the office number, the number for your nurse, for people who want to get involved. Um, okay, your phone number for the holiday grief workshop that's coming up. Maybe you could reiterate that. We've got about two minutes that, to go through all of that. <laughs> if okay, you'd like. We have, for the hospice office, it's 462-4038. And for um, grief support, and signing up for groups and stuff, 391-1817. And for Diane, who is the respite volunteer coordinator, it is 489-0554. And for um, the thrift store, you just go on in there. <laughs> <laughs> 401 South State Street, and all the information that we've shared with you in terms of contact information, et cetera, I think, or at least most of it, you can find at the website, hospiceofukiah.com, hospiceofukiah.com. Um, and and uh, I want to particularly just point out that, that all the ways of supporting this wonderful organization that provides such a wonderful free offering to our community uh, is is on a on a tab on the website called donations hospiceofukiah.com and click on donations um kate the the workshop the holiday grief workshop is on december 17th at 1 p.m yes. did i say that right in ukiah yeah Methodist church on pine street and people can call you for more information do you require people to sign up or can people just show up they can show up. I try to try to be ready. There's quite a few chairs available. Okay, great. We so do that, prefer that if you can, you wear masks. In okay. Okay. All right. Well, we have 30 seconds left. So here's here's the countdown. Thank you so much, Megan Parker and Kay Lieberknecht. And thank you to everyone at Hospice of Ukiah for your wonderful offering to our community and for all the work that you've been doing for our community for 40 years. And by community, I mean community at large. You know, it's not just it, 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 it's, it's not just Ukiah. And thanks, and, and I'll be back in two weeks. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.